Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Why are we in awe of the Great Wall of China that was built by slaves, but condemn that some of the United States founding fathers owned slaves? Today we're going to talk about moral relativism, and relativism as a concept, how it's applied, what it means for you, me, whoever follows it. Before I get into that, Mike, how are you doing? What are you drinking? I'm really excited that you chose this one. It's going to be very interesting, and it's... A highly debated topic, but I'm drinking some tin cup bourbon. What about you, my friend? How are you doing? What are you drinking? Yeah, I'm excited. I got some bush light. I got uh, tall boys because they were on sale. So living it up. Uh, yeah. So relativism, what exactly does that mean? Well, I think one of the best places to start is let's just start with the definitions. According to Webster, the definition of morality is principles of right and wrong in behavior and the definition of relativism is a theory that knowledge is in relation to the limited nature of the mind and the contents of knowing so in kind of layman speak morality relativism are principles that are based on the consciousness of human beings i think that's a fair somewhat assessment of a prelim wouldn't you say so nick yeah and i think the the most applicable to current events mike you you may or may not be familiar with this is the whole uh, like your truth like speak your truth because it implies that each person has their own individual truth which is relativism as opposed to the truth so what can be true for one person might be false for someone else so we can both have truths that contradict each other, and they are our own truths. They're our own conscious truth, which is kind of which is what relativism is. Which, as a scientist, hurts my brain that there can be two contradicting truths to the same statement or same hypothesis. And we're, Nick, this topic we're diving into is no stranger in the history books, since philosophy's pretty much been developed, made, and refined, they've been discussing moral altism. From Plato to all the way to China to, sorry if I mispronounce this, but Zhuangzi, which I don't know if I pronounced that correct, but they've been... I don't think it's right. I definitely can't correct you. I'm going to put the odds you pronounce that right at like 5 to 7%. Yeah, no, I, I would bet the same odds. Yeah, no, uh, hey, yeah, you got to swing for the fences if you want to hit a home run, but... Since Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, all the way to Eastern philosophers, all across the world, different philosophers have been trying to understand morality. And morality is a very human aspect trait. I think starting with one of my favorite philosophers in history with just how he feels about moral relativism, which I kind of agree with, but I'll dive in deep later, is Plato. Plato discussed with his mentor and his student moral relativism his mentor being socrates and his student being aristotle plato did not like moral relativism 
And how he kind of divided it is into a person's soul. Plato talks about a person having a three-part soul. The first part being a soul, or at least part of the soul, that loves truth and justice. So doing the right thing and feeling good about it. The second thing is achievement and victory. So accomplishing something great and getting praise for it. And the third, loves carnal and food. Carnal meaning um, loving physical touch. So like sexual prowess, fighting, um, everything underneath the books of just physical touch and food. So gluttony. So like think seven deadly sins, which kind of makes sense to me is no one's a saint everyone's got a little bit of right and wrong in them and it definitely depends on culture to culture now i had a hard time finding any history on zhangzi writings i'm not familiar with eastern writings so it was kind of hard to research and develop that but all the same people have been looking for universal morals moral relativism that defines history and time and moralism in their own culture and their own time and i think that's a fair assessment in the history books of simply a lot of philosophers debating and arguing it yeah and i it's also not going to be solved anytime soon because there's a a lot of good arguments maybe not good arguments but pretty you can see where they're coming from right so one of the biz, biggest examples of moral relativism in society is one that we all do we've all made a moral morally relative moral relativist argument wow i'm usually the one who can't speak what is this i'm still not sure if i'm saying that right or wrong but uh an argument using the basis of moral relativism there we go um mostly known as cultural relativism so i'll give an example here that uh, i think is kind of an odd one but it's definitely one you'll see a lot so like saudi arabia up until very recently, didn't let women drive. And when you go out, you have to wear a burqa. We, uh, by we, I mean people in the United States, saw them as a developed, you know, first world country, equals, like partners. I mean, Saudi Arabia is one of the richest countries. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a third world country, but we saw them like as equals. But if someone passed a law in the United States that said women, women can't drive, there'd be a fucking uproar. But because it's their culture and the way their culture views rights and wrongs, morally, that's, that's a, it's a morally correct action that women can't drive. And so respecting their culture, respecting their own morals, it's okay, even if it's not true for the morals of the United States, the vast majority of people in the United States. So I guess not that they're against Saudi Arabia, but they're against they would be against the idea that women aren't allowed to drive in the United States, but it's accepted there because that's their culture. Not so much that they're against Shia law, it's just they don't like principles of Shia law, I guess, so to speak. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting how much culture, region, and time to time. I mean, if we just look at extreme, extremes of the spectrum, if we look at you know cultures traveling across the Sahara Desert, Versus cultures in, I don't know, Finland or Sweden. Well, cu cultures traversing the Sahara Desert value water more than the uh, Norwegian groups. Well, if you waste water, you're morally being wrong. 
But if you're wasting water in Sweden, it's completely fine. That's a kind of a dumbed down version compared to your version, Nick. But it's a different walk in the shoes trying to perceive a culture halfway across the world is kind of hard to do. And both are arguing that they're both are right, which is very interesting. Right. This is, uh, you brought it up before the podcast, but this is meta-ethical moral relativism. The definition is the truth or falsity of moral judgments or their justification is not absolute or universal, but it is relative to the traditions, convictions, or practices of a group or persons. Kind of like how, to make it even more dumbed down, like here's a good example, maybe not a moral example, but we drive on the right side of the road, people in the United Kingdom drive on the left side of the road. The wrong side. Because. The, it, yes. And uh, so that is, you know, both of us in our, the way we look at the world as would as a relativist are both correct and no one is wrong. And and it's I think it's mostly applied this way. I think most relativist arguments stem from some kind of cultural disagreement where it's wrong, but because it's their culture, it's correct. Well, if I might take an extremist view, I look at Judaism. Um, for the most part, circumcision is going away in Western culture, but I mean, it still has deep ties in the Hebrew way of life. I mean, that's that's just their history. So we are moving away from general mutilation for a infant's private parts to, well, if it's part of their history, their religion, their people for way of life for thousands of years, who are we to say no? Both have merit, both have truth, but I guess it just kind of depends on your culture. Like I imagine in Israel, circumcisions are kind of more common compared to, I don't know, Mexico. I imagine one versus the other has a lot different ratio, which goes back to location. I, Nick, I guess it all comes down to location, location, location. Of course, time period has a huge affect into it, but yeah. it's Yeah, and I think it's... It's important, like, you know, we talk about, you're talking about circumcision, which is genital mutilation, but it's like you talked about, it's a culturally relative in practice. But then how many times have you seen like a, I don't know, a billboard, but something like stop uh, female genital mutilation, like in Somalia or Djibouti, like, I feel like always pop up where it's like where they're doing that. But part of that is cultural. And it's just it's weird that you can put up a sign. I mean, yeah, every now and then you'll see the weird, like, sketchy Florida highway stop circumcision, whatever. But for the most part, you don't see anything against circumcision. But you do see a lot of stop female genital mutilation from these areas where it's also cultural. But it's not uh, it's not a, a widespread cultural practice. So I feel like because of that, it doesn't get the same respect not that's not the right word it's it's looked at differently because of the culture i'm guessing like it's definitely done for different purposes we went to very different colleges i definitely saw multiple protests this is in high school dude it's fucking same high school you've definitely seen this posted somewhere in high school i was gonna say in college i saw multiple protests on stop circumcisions because like, I literally saw billboards and signs people holding of no one wants a shorter dick. 
and they literally had were wearing all white and painted themselves red in the crotch area to say stop circumcision. It's one, I'm pronouncing that word wrong and it's driving me crazy. I can't say it right. Two, we might actually upload it because I still have the pictures of it. But three, it's it might be a person's way of culture, right, tradition, but does the tradition and culture and right stand to the test of time? Which is a very interesting thing because uh, cutting off someone's foreskin for religious rights in Judaism is a very old tradition. But as we gain more knowledge, does that still hold up? Do do the morals of that area and culture are they allowed to cross borders into other cultures? Yeah, so I'll give you an example here. Um, in countries where so the where they they abbreviated female genital mutilation to FGM, which is like a weird. That's not something I thought would ever be abbreviated, but what, what you know, what are you gonna do? That's a weird one for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But the majority of women in these areas think that it should be continued. In Benin, I don't know if I'm saying that right. In Ghana, ninety-three percent of the women and girls are in support of genital mutilation, as well as higher percent high percentages in Kenya, Iraq, and uh, a few other places. Now, to play devil's advocate, are they knowledgeable of other cultures in the outside world? Because uh, I'm not gonna be honest. I'm gonna be honest with you, Nick. When I think countries that still practice female genitalia well just butchering i don't picture cultures where that females are allowed to go to school if that makes sense i'm picturing a little bit less uh, educated women which again it might be their cultures and i might be just biased but i associate that female genitalia mutilation with cultures that don't support women getting a higher education because it's almost like a it, if they knew the grass was greener on the other side scenario, and I don't know if you would happen to have that information or not. I don't, but when you're used to it, you're used to it, right? I mean, like most people who are circumcised aren't like, how <laughs> give me back my foreskin, you bastards. All right, very very true. But what's the old saying? If you stain shit long enough, you get used to the smell. Just because you get used to it doesn't mean it's right. But Again, that comes down to right or wrong, depending on what culture, what region. And this is just modern time, let alone if we're talking about different times in the history book. Well, and that's this is one of my issues with moral relativism, pet peeves, whatever you want to call it. It's probably a nicer one. Is there there essentially is no right or wrong, right? Because with moral relativism, what's right for one person is wrong for another person. So for example, like if uh, you know you're going to a country where they they still kill people for being gay, that's morally acceptable in their eyes. Now you may say, well, you can't just kill someone because they're gay, but that's that's your truth. That's your moral relativism. That's your morality. In moral relativism, all moral decisions are can only be based on your own. So to those people who are killing people for being gay they are morally in the clear now you're judging them based on your own morals which you cannot do that'd be i forget the word it's 
Uh, not moral absolutism. What is that? It is. Well, I don't know if you're trying to do it, but you're transitioning perfectly into ethical relativism. Ethical relativism being that there are no absolute truths and ethics and that what is morally right or wrong varies from person to person or from society to society. Sure. Yeah, something like that. I think, uh, yeah, why don't you, you keep going along those lines, see if we're on the same track or not. Well, a big example I saw, and I'm not sure if you saw, Nick, was Nazis, where if morals are only cultural place, you're like, we've all heard the expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Uh, it's an example is Spanish bullfighting. Spanish bullfighting is legal in Spain, but not legal in England. It's considered unethical in Britain, but ethical in Spain. That's just their culture and traditions. But when now we start getting more on the extreme end of the spectrum, and we start looking at like the Nazis, where it was their culture, their belief system, their, for all purposes, relig religious belief system, that Christians were good, Jews, gypsies, hom uh, homosexuals were bad. Well, it's their ideas, it's their morality, it's their ethics, it's their culture. Are we to say another culture is wrong? Me personally, yes. But one with ethic relativism says no. It varies from person to person, society to society, which I also believe is true. It's just when you start getting on the extreme ends is where I have more of an issue. So sticking with the Nazi analogy, um, let's, let, let's just say that in the United States, the United States used to have slavery. We adapted, we learned, we understood that slavery became bad. It was immoral. But if you look at the morality of the United States after slavery versus the morality of the Nazis, well, there were still Jim Crow laws in the United States. We didn't treat people of color with the same respect. But we weren't sending them to fucking gas chambers and work, work in death camps. So it's kind of relative on how you treat your morals. For a lot of people in the 1920s to 1970s, and unfortunately some parts of the United States even to this day, they don't view people of color as the same equality as others. But Nazi German, it was not even close. But that's just different cultures. One's an entire half the global way. Are we able to say a culture half a million miles away is right or wrong? Like. This is a little bit more understandable, but cultures in South America where they run out of food and resources, they will leave their babies in the woods so the babies will die so that way they don't have another mouth to feed. In many of the Western world, that would be seen as cruel and unnecessary. But in parts of that world where that tradition is going on, it's a means of survival. Is that culturally right? Culturally wrong? Or does it just depend on which side of the fence you're on? I think it. Uh, I think personally, I, I think there's a right or wrong, but I I can see I can see it from both sides, right? I think uh, one of the things that relativist kind of agree, I mean, not agree on, but they kind of throw out there is kind of like a partial relativism. Like morals are relative until they affect other people. So I'll see a lot of like I like my decisions basically like my decisions only affect me, but when they affect other people, then it's more of an absolute morality. 
I don't know if you ran into that with that argument. I did not, but I disagree with that statement. Uh, what comes to my mind is, uh, for example, thievery. If you just make a generic sample of like thievery, well, yeah, it's not a good thing to steal. But now if you change the context of it, what happens if you're stealing to feed your family? Well, that changes stuff. That's context. I think context changes on your morals. And to make a blanket statement and of personal choice, I mean, stealing affects other people other than yourself. It affects the person that you stole from and what you may or may not use that money for. I... I understand the perspective of morals come from the individual, its individual beliefs. I imagine that's a component, but I think it's a dual side, I think it's a two-sided coin where morals are both on an individual and societal base. Like for the most part, we agree as a society, and it doesn't matter, doesn't matter if you're in Saudi Arabia, ancient China, uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, South America, or the United States. We all agree on base rules for our own society. Now that societies, they might not mismatch what works in one country might not work in another, what works in one time period not might work in another. But in, in retrospect, at least to me, all societies agree with itself, at least one point or another. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I was going to, this is a great transition to moral absolutism, unless you want to keep talking about moral relativism. No, the only thing I, I would like to say is I think it's important to note the parts of the brain that morality is accustomed to because I will talk about it a little later in the podcast, but the parts of the brain that are heavily related to moral decisions, whether it be personal or societal base, minute or major, are the frontal lobe, which is a major factor in reasoning, and again, apologize if I butcher this fucking latin naming of it but anterior singulate whoa nope anterior singulate cortex which is in part of the brain that deals with conflict with oneself so to speak these regions no matter what culture what time period all light up when talking about morality i think that was just important to note that though we might have different morals the same parts of our brain all light up but please continue, Nick. Yeah, that's a great transition, actually. So moral absolutism, the argument is that there is one set of morals that governs everything. And when we talk in society, you know, we talked about moral relativism where when you we judge other cultures based on their cultural beliefs, we take parts of moral absolutism, too. So moral absolutism, like I said, means that there's one set of morale. Mor Holy shit. Yeah, it's hard saying uh, for everyone listening. It's hard saying morals, morality, and like just changing them inter intertwinglingly. It's really hard to switch up the words. There's one set of morals for everyone, and I, I like this one. Uh, I like I like what it says. And I'm gonna. I didn't at first, but I'm gonna rationalize it as we go. But we use this in our everyday speech when we say, like, uh, let's. Oh, that's a terrible example. Um, so when we talk about a country that has improved, so the example I was going to go with is Russia. Like, <laughs> oh, Russia's gotten so much better. Uh, yeah, maybe let's go with a different. Let's um, uh, 
trying to think, trying to think, trying to think. Uh, Germany's gotten so much better. Uh, well, depending on your time period, yes, yes. But even just saying, like, a person has improved, that's a moral absolution, absolute. <laughs> I fucking love this. Moral absolutionist, absolute, absolutionist argument because you're projecting your morals. You're not, okay, you're not projecting your morals, but you're basing them off a set of morals. If you're a relativist, that person can neither improve nor decrease in their morality because their morality is their own morality and your morality is your own morality. So there is no way to go up or down. There's no way to improve because they're not judged by your standards. So they can never change in your eyes. They can only change in their own eyes as their morals change in their own head. So essentially there's no change. But you see this in society as like we talk about our own country, like the United States has improved. Everyone agrees the United States is a better place now than it was. Why, though? Because morally, the U.S. is a more just environment than it was in the past. I feel like we all intrinsically know that this is true. To play, Can I play devil's advocate before you switch this topic point? Oh, please do. We're going to be on this for a little bit, so take your time. Okay. Well, you say that we think that we are morally better than what we were, say, 1850s. I would wager that people in the 1850s think they are morally better than the people earlier. I think it's just based on your time period that you think you are morally better than other groups. So in the 1850s, slavery was still legal in America. I would wager most think, and the people who were living in the 1850s thought it was the greatest time in American history. Like, oh my God, look at this, the Industrial Revolution starting up, where we're having a flood of going out west, gold rush, all these things. I imagine they thought it was the greatest time. It got significantly improved, or it was the greatest. And if you look at now, we would think they were Neanderthals. We thought that they had their ethics, their ideology, their beliefs were flawed. Both, I think, have merit. I think both are true and both are false. It's the context of the period. We think we are more advanced from the people in the 1850s simply because, well, we've had more time. We've had more examples. We've had, we can use them as a history example. And I think also vice versa. They thought they were the greatest because, well, to their comparison, everything before them was the same way we're comparing now to then, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And and I, I agree. Um, and that's an argument that the like a relativist would throw at an absolutionist is that when we talk about morals and the absolutionists say there's absolute morals, like why... Like, give, show me, like, what are the morals? So I actually and, can do that. Yep. Okay. I don't know if you came across this, but there was an interesting Oxford study. I'm not sure if it was 2019 or 2011. I can't remember the date. But a group of researchers analyzed about 60 different cultures to find a moral universal rules. And they found seven of them. The seven rules being help your family help your group, return favors, be brave, defer to superiors, 
divide resources fairly, respect others' property. The Oxford researchers found all seven of these rules to be universal from the 60 cultures that they studied. And I imagine that kind of fits into what your topping point is, Nick. Yeah, I mean, that fits in even better than... It's like, I don't even need to make the argument now, but I will because we'll walk through it. So a relativist will say to an absolutist, show me these rules. And an absolutist will say, I don't know the rules. Like, I, I just know that there is a moral right and a moral wrong, and it applies to everyone. And a relativist will say, well, if you don't know the answer and we disagree, then you can't be wrong or you can't be right. I'm right. Well, to in the uh, an absolutist will say, "Well, you're wrong. I'm right." So when two people disagree, does it mean that they're both wrong? <laughs> people disagree if the Earth is round or flat. Does it mean that both of those people are wrong? No, it flat. Uh, God, you you did that one on purpose. I fucking hate flat earthers. Yeah, no. Uh, one is definitely right, Nick. The Earth is definitely spherical. And so I I think what your point is. Mike, that there there is in a sense an absolute morality in a you know a relative the relative relativist argument is that over history through cultures we have never been able to agree on morals. Different cultures have different morality and laws and regulations, and that's why we need to be relativist so that we can interact, that we can be tolerant of these other cultures. But then, and, and this is my question: is but wouldn't tolerance be one of those? Wouldn't that be an absolute? Like if a whole, a lot of the relativist argument is centered on the fact that we need to be relativist to be tolerant of other people's cultures. But that's a moral principle. That's, in, in a relativist argument, that is your moral principle, not everyone else's. You're essentially arguing that the absolutionists are right because you're arguing that we should all have the moral principle of tolerance. To play devil's advocate once again, I think there's a difference between tolerance and submission so there's a difference of putting up with certain moral decisions versus abiding by them an easy example being in japanese culture it's very common to bow as a sign of respect to someone in western culture a handshake but vice versa if you bow in western culture it seems as submissive and a handshake is disrespectful now, this is obviously extremism for this analogy, but if I were to bow in Japanese culture, though it is against my own morals in Western culture, I am tolerating and trying to respect another culture. Though I might not agree with the gesture, I understand that sometimes I have to get along to get along. And to also go with your point of morals being absolute, I found very interesting the Oxford Seven Rules of Universal Rules because no matter where you are in the world, you always need food, water, and shelter. Clothing, depending on if you want to be picky, etc., etc. The idea that universal relative morals exist, as a scientist, I must think that they must be able to be tested and proven, but they also differ. So at their base core, like, um, I don't know, uh... Defer to superiors. That's an example they Oxford had as their seven rules. In Korean culture, they teach their pilots English because in Korean pilots, they're not allowed to say certain things to their elders or 
people higher up in them in the Korean language because it's disrespectful. So they teach them English so they're able to speak it. That's moral relativism. Small scale, but it's moral relativism. And I feel like the we agree on the same thing, but different ways to do it, if that makes sense. So we both agree, like everyone agrees that you should try to treat others with respect. I think that's a very common thing. But how you do it, I think, differs from culture to culture, if that makes sense, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but I think that that implies an absolute moral, moral, an absolute moral system as opposed to a relative moral system. Because in a relative moral system, that is your moral principle, right? Like you want to be tolerant, you want to be accepting of other people's cultures and get along. In a in a true relativist moral system like if our justice system was a moral relativist system and you argued morally i am not in violation of my moral code by stoning this guy to death you're fine i think pushing the argument of wanting to be nice to other people's cultures is a, a pro in the side of the absolute moral system in the sense that we all want to do it and that it is inherent somewhere inside of us because i think with a, like i said relativist you can do whatever the fuck you want and as long as you're within your own moral code you're fine but i think that that getting along sacrificing for the greater good implies a, an inherent code of morals that we all have inside of us some way or another that connects us that is more than that's greater than ourselves another advocate i want to add to this is i do think there's a difference between individual moralism and society moralism the society could be replaced with the world culture uh one's own personal beliefs may differ from cultural beliefs uh so it, your example with the court system nick i might believe i did the right thing and say that i killed a pedophile but in the court system killing is evil so society sees that killing as evil now, granted, the moral that society might give me less sentence or more sentence depending on the person I killed. But I do want to clarify, I think the ethical, the cultural, and the personal moral relativism all is very fluid and bleeds into each other, so to speak. I think it's very important to note because you need to sacrifice freedoms for society to exist, which means you have to give up morals and rights that you believe in for society to exist so biting the bullet sometimes is necessary and i don't know if that's part of the moral relativism now i guess do you need to i guess my question is when you said you need to give up some morals to live in a society i feel like that's i don't know can you expand on that i'm kind of confused so uh, i associate a lot with uh, a lot of morals with freedom so for example say I'm trying to think of a good analogy Say a I disagree with some politicians' decisions. I morally disagree with their decisions. I think it's unethical what they're doing. So say, just an example, ICE, what they're doing at the border. I morally disagree with that. But in order for society to continue, I may swallow my pride and get along to, get a to give along. So morally, I might object but I might not physically do anything about it, so to speak. So uh, so say if ICE is keeping people in 
in facilities and not allowing news organizations to go see it. I might not agree with it morally because of freedom of the press, but morally I get along with it because I understand the government is trying to do... Morally get along with it is not the right word choice, but it's the only choice I can come in my head. I might morally sacrifice that... I will... There are hills I will die on and hills I won't die on in moral choices. And I don't think every moral choice is a hill people will die on. So some hills I will relinquish and give up in order to keep society going. Like I personally believe that every pedophile should probably go through an institution trying to be fixed. And if it doesn't fix, execute it. Or every serial killer, execute it. Though many might disagree with the death penalty. Morally, someone might agree that we should punish uh, serial killers, but disagree on punishing them through martial law. So it's kind of a give and take, if that it, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense. I wasn't really sure what you're getting at, but that I understand where you're coming from now. And I also want to point out, I think there's a difference between basic, quote-unquote, moral universal laws and larger universal laws i think it's i agree with more absolute maybe absolution is another word i agree that there is no good or evil it just depends on what side of the fence you are victor writes the story but i do believe there is a base fundamental root like much like every living thing needs food water and shelter to survive i think morals might also stem for that for human culture but when we start getting beyond that like for example earlier they would bring on about gentile uh, gentle mutilation that gets more specific it's not that broad basic core subject so i think that also differs on how wide the spectrum is of is it hey return favors or is it return favors with x y and z like it's the core versus the fine print, so to speak. So speaking of morals intersecting the common morality of the land, so to say, the culture, however you want to call it, during the civil rights movements, sit-ins occurred, which is when African Americans would sit inside white-only restaurants, which was illegal, broke up businesses. I mean, not broke up businesses, but put a pause to earned income i guess you would say I'm trying to think of like the polite way to word that um i mean there's no way polite way to say it i mean cops fire hoses and cop and dogs were sent on the people trying to just sit in to have equal rights yeah so you so at the time those actions were morally wrong right according to the culture well i guess to moral society it's it's tough yeah the morally societally morally that was wrong because the law said to do this but now you know we're happy oh, they broke shit. the law it's, it, it's not 40 years later it's like <laughs> fuck close to, it's getting closer oh, to 100 <laughs> yeah it's uh i always think it's like early 2000s <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> smash mouth is still on the radio <laughs> exactly which some people now would argue is morally wrong but uh <laughs> But yeah, at the time that was, you know, very seen as morally wrong is in newspapers, you know, upended, upended society, just a, a complete change, a 180 of what had been happening. But we look back now and we're like, yeah, that that had to happen. 
but there's stuff that has to happen, you know, as we see it now looking back, that's probably happening right now that 20 years from now, people are going to say that had to happen. And it's a, like Mike was talking about, a sacrificing of morals for the greater good, that sometimes your your code of morals, you sacrifice what you think is morally right in in order for the greater good to succeed. And I, I kind of think that that implies more uh, moral absolutism because like the greater serving the greater good is an absolute value and it's maybe not something you realize at the time i don't know i'm getting well no on a tangent no i kind of i kind of agree with you there i think morals deviate from personal to societal base they're definitely overlap but you don't always agree with everything societal based and the question is are you willing to keep to your morals or moral societal base like are you willing to sacrifice your morals for the greater good? Um, which this is kind of a dark example, but it's an example I came across with of for the greater good. A study in 2007, again, it was hard to find, I don't know about you, Nick, but find research that was per, uh, that was after 2012. Everything I found pretty much for moral realism was 2012 or earlier. But a study in 2007 conducted by seven different universities check to see if brain damage affected morals in adults. The study had 12 average people and 12 people with, I'm going to fuck this up again, uh, ventromedial perfinal cortex damage, which... Yeah, you had no chance. Yeah, I... Fuck me. Uh, which is part of the brain that is part of empathy in, in your brain. Um, what they found is... In small moral questions, like, is it right to kick a puppy, so to speak, they saw massive overlaps. Now, also, I want to keep this caveat. This was a super small study group. I mean, 12 and 12, 24 people. That's a super small study group. So take everything with this study with a grain of salt. But they saw overlap with small moral questions like, is it okay to steal if you're hungry? Is it not okay to steal if you're greedy, so to speak? But what they saw major differences is that People with brain damage did more beneficial analysis for greater good and societal good than people with non-brain damage. So in other words, people with brain damage were more conscious of the larger scale picture of their decisions for for morals than individuals with normal brains. So so, so another, 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 another way to say is People with normal brains were thinking of morals on how they personally affect them. People with brain damage were thinking of morals on not only societal base, but a time base, which I thought was extremely interesting. I feel like I should be more surprised at that study, but I feel like that makes complete sense. Really? I was, su- I, I'll, I'll be honest, I tend to look at micro and, mar- and macro scales. I don't tend to look in between, and I feel like majority of the people look in between, which... I don't know. I, I, I would figure people without the brain damage were able to see the larger picture, so to speak. And I was surprised when they were not able to see the larger picture. Okay, maybe I misheard you. So what I thought you said is that the people with brain damage were more able to see a larger, were more conscious of the larger picture as opposed to people without brain damage. Correct. I just thought the average person, the person without brain damage, would be able to see the larger picture. I didn't think the people with brain damage would be able to see the larger picture. I think I think people without brain damage, if they want to, can see the larger picture, but don't often think about it. 
Well, that begs the question. When it comes to more relativism, oh, and it, depending on your culture and stuff like that, are people making moral relativism or moral beliefs on an individual scale or societal scale? Like, are they able, to, are people on average an individual to be able to see the larger picture of how their morals affect society? My first thought is that they can't, or else we would not have murderers, thieves, criminals, and such like that, that they're not able to see the bigger picture. But also that might, hmm, it's a, it's a question of nature versus nurture, and I'm not quite sure, but that's my first thought is the average person can't see the larger picture. I think the average person can, for the most part, see the larger picture, but they choose not to, or they're like, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, or they're in the throes of passion, right? So you know when you're driving and someone's being an asshole, you know instinctively you shouldn't just flip people off and cut right in front of them and then drive really slow. That's rude. But when you're pissed off, it, it just fucking happens, right? People get pissed off and they then they start fucking with the guy who pissed them off. Now, if you ask that person as they're walking in the street, hey, sh should you flip people off while you're driving? They'd probably say no. I mean, yeah, you're going to get some yeses but i think you'd probably get a, mostly no's but everyone does it it's because we may we don't make decisions based on logic looking at our our system of morals and then basing our actions off that we make our actions based off emotions and i think you can i think you can use moral relativism i think relativism is mostly applied on the individual level because i think people can use i i do it all the time when i'm like i'm i normally drive pretty slow ask my wife but if i'm going to like a fire like something exciting then i'm driving fast and i'm just like oh well for you know it's for the greater good it benefits me it benefits society to get to where i'm going faster but when you actually look at the greater good it's safer for everyone for me to just drive you know the speed limit and be like a safe driver but i'm fucking pumped up you know like i'm ready to go so i use relativism to make an excuse for myself mm, i agree and disagree at the same time so i think it's kind of like also the hill you want to die on the hill not you don't want to die on so say a person cuts you off speeds and is going crazy and you're like what an idiot what an asshole but one time in our lives we've all been that person we've all been the shoe on the other foot so we've all done something we thought in a different mindset was wrong so I guess it goes back to the hill you want to die on, the hill you don't want to die on, personal versus society. I think me and Nick can both agree on that. There are some people we both prefer not to be breathing on this earth, but we both agree that murder is wrong. So we're able to bite the bullet, so to speak, and not commit a crime of sort. But we both agree that sometimes a crime against morals is necessary and also that morals relativism tends to be for individual and the society based but to play devil's advocate i would say society's moral relativisms have to be for the most part similar for society to exist so that in other words individual morals have to be similar to individual to individual in order for society to exist or i don't think society exists at all yes um so I have a great example. I'm trying to remember the name of the book that I think most people will get. So during the Clone Wars, in Star Wars, during the Clone Wars, the Jedi Council, who we, I mean, 
If you're listening to this podcast, you shouldn't have no Star Wars. We'll give a little background. The Jedi are a group of quote unquote knights. <laughs> are you explaining? Based off, you know, are you explaining Jedi to people on the internet? I mean, we're just gonna keep going with okay, it. Okay, sure. People don't okay. want to know. Okay. All right. Long story short, they have a very you know very good moral system, and they're not they're not assholes. But they're in a war, and Count Dooku, the enemy who's waging war against the Republic, which the Jedi represent, the Jedi Council sits together, and they decide they're going to send one of their Jedi to assassinate Dooku, which is against everything that the Jedi stand for. And some of the Jedi are up in arms, because that's not the Jedi way. Obviously, they they can't capture Dooku. Otherwise, they've tried unsuccessfully numerous times. And they, they can't decide, and they, they end up sending someone to go and do try and assassinate Dooku, and it goes not well. But it's, it's that sacrifice for the greater good. It's easy to delude yourself into thinking that what you're doing is right if, if you just put it into the pretense of the greater good. And they end up at the end believing that they made the wrong decision, shouldn't have tried to assassinate Dooku because it is not the Jedi way. And I think that I think you have to be very careful with the further greater good arguments because I feel like it's so easy to say we can do this for the greater good when a lot of times it's for personal good disguises the greater good. Oh, completely agree. Uh, another example I think would be uh, if you if you had the opportunity to kill a baby, would you? No. Well, what if that baby was Hitler? Then yes, but you're still killing a baby. It's it's that it's that kind of argument of like, are you willing to sacrifice your morals for societal good? It also depends on what society you're in. Also depends on what time period you're in. At least in my opinion, I don't think me person me personally, I don't think morals transfer from society to society, from time period to time period. So you're an absolute absolutist. I'm. I don't know what the fuck I am, Nick. I sometimes I understand. I'm. A self-interestness. Where- so this one this one guy, I can't remember where it was from, but he had he basically said that he was a subjective relativist and that he thought some morals were subjective and some were not. And I feel like that's pretty much where most people are, right? Like there's an absolute moral code that I think most people follow, like those seven ones you found. But then after that, it gets kind of subjective as to what's moral and what isn't. Agreed. I, I would say that. Like... In my mindset, I'm thinking of like uh, the time of Charlemagne and uh, chivalry, where knights had a code. Well, that code eventually got lost and gone, but for a time period, that code kind of existed everywhere. And I feel like everyone in some form or shape has a line in the sand of code. But begs the qu- no, I mean, sorry, I definitely I wanted to support you in this point because I think it's pretty great is everyone definitely does have a code. I mean, we literally have a saying of honor amongst thieves. I mean, you look at anyone who maybe you morally disagree with, but you'll like you said, your seven common uh, values, you're going to see stuff like honor and loyalty in all sorts of fucked up situations, right? Because there is, you know, and, and I think that's an argument for a, an objective morality that there is some sort of code. And you're going to find it wherever. Now, maybe that morality doesn't mean don't hurt people, but you'll still see some sort, some semblance of morals in every environment because you need some semblance of morals to survive. Like, look at like some any criminal organization. 
you need to, at some point or another, have some sort of chain of command, and you need to have some sort of uh, loyalty to those to make an, any organization work, because without some sort of organization, you, ha you don't have anything. So there is some semblance of morals, probably not the morals everyone's thinking of, but there is something there that holds these organizations together that does resemble our moral code. Well, to go with the Oxford Seven Universal things, I mean, you just said help your group and defer to superiors. That's pretty on par for a criminal organization. Another example I want to make for those is think World War Two with Japanese fighting for Imperial Japan and you know, even though they the war ended in 1945, there were still Japanese soldiers on islands still fighting, not knowing that the war ended. Well, they're still trying to help their group. They're still trying to be brave. They're still trying to honor their country. They're still trying to show honor. Though it might have been for what we might think the wrong reasons. I mean, on a base level, they're kind of the right reasons. Like, they refuse to fight. I mean, honestly, if some country invaded the united states i'd probably fight tooth and nail even though if the war ended i'd probably still keep on fighting if no one told me about it i mean i can see morally in their shoes so to speak whether it be from criminal organization to warrior both past and present to an average citizen i think we can all understand one's reasoning on a very base scale now, when we start getting nitpicky on, like, if this is right or wrong, I think when things get murky. But honestly, I kind of agree with the seven Oxford Universal Laws. Help your family. Help your group. Return the favors. Be brave. Defer to superiors. Divide resources fairly. And respect others' property. I'm trying to think of, like, Japan in the 1600s versus any time in England's history. And they all those rules kind of apply. It doesn't matter what time period, which I find very interesting. But yeah, I think with the criminal organization, Nick, that you brought up, that no matter how chaotic a situation might be, there's always hierarchy, there's always rules, there's always morals. Like, I mean, I'm trying to think of like the Russian mob breaking the no family, no kids in the 1980s. Like, that was a big deal. Like, before then, every mafia had no kids, no civilians no wife like e even even the worst of the worst have some morals might be hard to find might be far left field but some morals yeah i definitely agree and i think that that leads it leads to the belief in uh objective morals of absolute morality is that when you boil it down like you said to the at least the seven that the oxford study found that there is some sort of absolute morality humans abide by it and, and probably in part due to having to live in societies, groups, families, tribes, whatever you want to call it, since we became humans, there's things you have to do to survive. And we're seeing the remnants of that. And maybe we can't quantify it, quantify it, put a pen to paper to it, but, but they are there. Like, and this is the example that was why I think it's debated, you know, why why people say that well there's no absolute morality is I think there is an absolute morality, but we don't know what that is. Okay, like you, we have those those seven rules that Mike laid down as 
most likely a probable morality. And we can look at situations and say right or wrong, but we don't know the exact answer of what's right or wrong. But we do know there is a wrong, right? Like you don't always know the right answer, but I feel like it's pretty obvious what the wrong answer is sometimes. And and to me, I, I just makes more sense that there is some sort of code out there that once we figure it out, that will be an objective morality. But just because we don't know the answer now doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Well, you said sometimes, and I completely agree with the sometimes part. I think it's very context-based for most moral questions. But to kind of carry on and pivot at the same time, are you born with morals? Like, we, you're talking about a basic moral code that everyone has that we just still haven't quite fully defined i i I somehow agree with you that there is some universal code of ethics that we have yet to define that transcends cultures and time though i don't know if we'll ever find it but at least we're attempting but perhaps nature can show us the answer so there are two ideas for morality is that it is nature versus nurture. You are born with it or you learn it. The null hypothesis is babies are born with no morality. And the regular hypothesis is that babies are born with some morality. Uh, bravo on the PR team for somehow getting regular hypothesis as your hypothesis name, which is very fascinating to me. But some studies that I saw which were very interesting is... A study in 2010 from Yale tried to find out if morals or some morals you are born with. So again, I think it is both nature and nurture. That's just my personal opinion that some morals might be universal. Some nor some morals might be learned. But in Yale in 2010, they took three-month-year-olds to see if they had morals. So what they did is they took a character who helped other characters. I think it was like moving blocks or something up a hill, something mundane, and a non-helpful character that would knock the blocks down and not help. Universally, the babies chose to be around and like the helpful character. Now, this is three months year old. No critical development. This is pretty much straight from the womb. They're deciding, oh, this person is more helpful, therefore I should align myself with them. This person is more helpful, I should like them more now that might be a survival basis but survival basis may have a play with morals also similarly a study from the university of washington did a test uh, did a test on 13 month year olds which a person was splitting food one fairly and one unfairly and universally the babies chose someone who split the food fairly versus unfairly now this seem mundane to most people but to me this is quite interesting from a three month to a one year old i don't know I'm, it's fucking blowing my mind oh okay well maybe you're on the same boat as me but that at such a young age you're able you're able to identify someone who will help your group help your people help your family someone who you want to be around want to have society at at such a young age like, I understand there's nature and nurture, but their young age of, like, pretty much, 
I'm just going to say that Timotheo is one year, one year and younger, is able to identify people with morals that they align with, makes me feel like there's actually universal morals, one way or the other. Like, if, now granted, take these studies with the grain of salt because they were done on Western babies, I mean, Yale and Washington, uh, but I imagine that in Eastern cultures, whether it be India, China, uh, Australia, like you take any culture, I imagine they're relatively the same, that babies, for the most part, choose people who are that are willing to help and fairly. That's just my assumption. I have no evidence for it. It makes me feel like there is a moral code, Nick, like you were talking about, that is absolute and we just haven't found it yet. But I just, I just thought those inter those studies were very interesting, especially when it comes to moral relativism. Yeah, that's that's insane. Because I, my thought before you said anything is that as we grow as humans and interact with other people in a in a society, in a family, in a group, a tribe, we see what works and what doesn't work, and we base our own morality off that. But what you're saying. Or what, what those studies are showing is that there is something inside of us of that we know how to, you know, we have, like you said, some system, some moral system inside of us that chooses right or wrong or tells us right and wrong that it's not a learned behavior, but something that we are partially born with. I'm sure it, you know, as you grow, it's going to change over time and adapt to your situation. But, you know, after years of living together, I'm not surprised that you're seeing these traits exhibited in humans. I mean, I am surprised, but I, I guess I, it seems reasonable. Well, to play devil's advocate, I am cautious that these morals that these infants have are not just morals on a survival basis. I think there's a, at least in my opinion, there's a difference between morals for a logical survival region and morals on an ethical region. I think those are two different things. I definitely think there's a heavy overlap, but I am cautious of that, of a baby saying, oh, this person's more faring sharing. It's a higher chance of me survival. It might not be that it might work with the group survival-wise. Because again, I'm thinking nature and nurture. I think it's a little bit of column A, a little column B, because we've all heard the expression, at least for many cultures, do not kiss and tell. That's kind of a lesson learned. You're not inherently known because kids will blabber, tell the, they'll be brutally honest and just tell you what they're thinking. But the idea of don't tell everyone what you're thinking, don't tell everyone what you're doing is inherently thrust upon us in society. So it's, it's at least to me, morals, whether it be, it doesn't matter where you are in culture, where you are in time, it is both inherently given and inherently learned. And I don't know if any of those statements I said are true, but that is my hypothesis. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, for me, I would think before you brought up going into this discussion, I assumed that morals were 70 30, 70% 70 learned, 30% inherent. But now I'm leaning, like, I feel like there's a higher percent inherent morals that we have. You know, looking at some, like maybe you're closer to 50 50, 60 40. Like, I, I don't know what the number is, but across cultures, it seems, it seems unlikely that we'd, like you said, we'd, we'd all share all these un, unwritten down moral codes, as well as babies and inherently knowing stuff. Maybe it is survival. Uh, my question, I don't know if you, if you know. So when you talk about the babies choosing 
the person who distributed food fairly, did the babies who got more food vote for the person who gave him more food, or did they vote for the fair, equitable distribution? I think that the study didn't show the babies got more food, but the babies got less food. I could be mistaken on that. Um, Another caveat I want to say is there was another study. I couldn't verify their results. It was kind of like um, a special that I saw them on, is that a Muppet was helping a person open a chest and another Muppet closing the chest, and the babies initially chose the Muppet that was helping. So it was another helping analogy. Um, but with your fairness example, I don't have any evidence that the babies that got more food liked the people who gave out food fair, more fair than non-fair. Gotcha. But I actually agree with your more initial statement, Nick, of that more mortals are inherently learned versus born with. I think society changes you so much. I think society dictates how you think so much. I, I see society affecting your moral far more than what you're born with. I don't know if this is true, but this is my that's my first analogy. Like, yeah, you're born with a set morals, much like, um, hey, you need to eat, drink, and find shelter, but... I think that only carries to a certain point. I think all the rest of the morals are societal-based. Based on these studies alone, I do think they are born some morals, whether it be survival or not, because literally the top of their skulls are still soft, and they're able to decide who is better, who is more beneficial for the group and themselves versus non-members for that group. It's, that's utterly fascinating to me. But I think most cultures, most how we think, like the bowing versus handshake, the um, slavery versus non-slavery, I think that's all societal-based. I don't think the base laws of moral relativism has to deal with that at all, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. I think I think it, it's going to be up for debate over what percentage, but I think it's definitely a combination of things. But I think... Overall, and and I, what I don't think we'll be able to figure out for a long time, if we ever do, is is what is. I mean, it's it's you're back to nature versus nurture again. But when it comes to morals, where are we getting you know most of our information from? Is it inherently learned, or is it, uh, or do we have it, or is it something that as we interact with each other, as we go through, you know, as we grow up and we see different groups we see families we see teams we see classes and how we all interact with each other is that are we learning lessons from that or do we just know inherently or do we know enough and that as we interact we get feedback that improves our moral system and is that why like people who don't interact like people who are super introverted like who don't have social interaction like um Oh, I'm trying to think. I'm not going to name names, but like. Uh, oh, I was thinking like bench warmers, pin- like the, the guy with the uh, peanut butter uh, castle. Well, that too. <laughs> but I was thinking more of like people who commit atrocities like mass shootings and stuff who come from the who tend to be on the lesser side of human interaction. Is that because you need human interaction to fuel 
your mor- morality, your system of morality, it grows as you grow and your interactions grow. If you don't have interactions with other humans, do you not grow your moral system? And is that why people who tend to interact less, or not tend to interact less, certain people can interact less without shooting up a school or whatever, but a lot of people who do terrible things like that tend to have less interaction with other human beings or bad interactions. Well, I think you need to be very careful on morals versus survival instincts. So to to more define what I'm saying is most animals in nature will watch another animal and see how they do it. Like, oh, they found a mate doing X, Y, and Z. I imagine a high school cafeteria is very similar. Oh, this guy is doing X, Y, and Z and all the girls seem to like him. I feel there it definitely overlaps between morals and not survival. Survival is not the right word for it, but society interaction protocols definitely overlap with how much interaction you get with other people. Um, I think it's a little column A, a little column B, but I don't think morals alone are defined by interactions with the outside world. I mean, I think morals are inherently given but also majority learned. But again, I think like societal base of watching others is a survival instinct, not a morality instinct. Like this is going to sound dumb, but everyone rationalizes and thinks that they're the good guys until they lose. The history books are written by the victors. That is such a very true quote. Like for those who don't know, United States, the official language of the United States before World War One was almost German. We have gone through very interesting history. We, everyone thinks they're doing the right thing until they are shown otherwise or they lose and they are defined otherwise. Yeah, well, that's moral relativism, isn't it? Everyone thinks that morally they are doing right. But I do think it's interesting how you were linking survival and morality. And I, I wonder what part of morality is just do what you need to do to stay within the group because you know we you talked about the rules of helping the group but you get help from the group doing good you know you get food shelter water money whatever the fuck it is if your group does good you do good so are you are you helping people because your moral code says so or because something in your dna says don't get me booted out of this these guys got it <laughs> These guys got it going on, and if I can stay in this group, I can survive. Honestly, I think the latter. If I can give a—at least what comes to my mind is if me and you, Nick, are hunting mammoth, and I put in more work and kill the mammoth, and but you eat more of the food, that probably doesn't sit right with me morally or unmorally. All right, let's, let's change it from humanoids to more creatures. Let's say you have a group of velociraptors hunting a creature— these velociraptors kill the creature, but one put in far more work than the other. But the creature that didn't put most work in eats the most. I imagine that pack of velociraptors would kick the other velociraptor out or yell at it or scratch at it or fight it or something. Like it doesn't make sense that I put in more of X, but I get less of Y. It doesn't, it does, it just doesn't compute. And I imagine that's got to be on a survival instinct. Yeah, and I got a good 
example here for you. So uh, I live in the Pacific Northwest, so in a, a small town, so hunting is a big part of that. When someone kills an elk, people will volunteer to help them. Why? Because one, that person can benefit from getting all the meat out f quicker. So they will get more meat, you know, if they don't let anything spoil. And the person who helps them in return as like the community it's the no one says it out loud but you know if you go and help someone then you get meat you know and it's up to whoever helped you help to how much you get it's not like you get a fucking half an elk or whatever it's like the oxford rule return favors yeah return favors but that is inherent it's like it's no one you don't need to say anything it's it's a known and my question is who is benefiting like there's no one who benefits the most in that situation right like the person who killed the elk, they may need help to get that meat out before it spoils. But I may want meat. <laughs> so if I go help someone, am I helping them because, you know, I want to help them? I like the, the challenge. Or is it because I'm morally obligated to to help so, your you know, group, uh, your tribe, someone, my group? There's, there's so many factors. It's, you know, it's hard to pin down exactly what it is. But I feel like that's an inherently human, and maybe not. You know, maybe other animals may, may, sh you know, share that. Bring, I mean, it's a, it's definitely. You have to have some kind of group, right, to have that kind of coordination and cooperation. Oh, completely agree. And if I can bring an example from rural county to urban county, is like how many times when you help a person move. They reward you with pizza and beer. That's like, a, at least in United yes, America. Same thing. It's an unspoken agreement. Yeah. Well, that might be just our society. Don't get me wrong. That like there's societies in Africa where if you want to walk someone to another village, you have to hold their hand the entire time you walk them to the village. That's that's this their society. But there's un, there's like an unspoken rule of I help you do X, you help me do Y. Just no words spoken. Everyone just nods and smiles and just completely knows what's happening. And I feel like that's both inherent and taught. Again, I think it's going back to the example of kiss and tell. Like, Nick, me and you both went to college. You probably lived in the dorms. And when someone walks out of their room and they just have a big smile on their face, you just give that little nod like you know what happened, but you don't say a word. Like, morally, you're applauding your friend for mating but you're not saying anything on a societal base by ousting it. It's it I, I think it's the same analogy with the with the helping with the elk and the pizza. It's like yes, I'm helping, but I'm also helping myself. But I'm also understanding that there are lines in the sand I should not cross for my own benefit. Yeah. No, I think that's a that's a great example. And it's yeah, I'm curious of how much of what we're talking about transfers to other cultures, right? Like maybe this is standard in the in the United States, but you know, in South America, do they have the same? You know, if a hunter kills something, it's probably the same thing. But like moving, is that helping your friends move? Do you get alcohol and food? I mean, what's the what's the standard currency or the international? What's the exchange rate for moving? You know, when you go country to country, how does that work? If I can piggyback on that, I'm also very curious on how morals transfer from traditions. There's a lot of traditions, at least I think in at least my perspective, that all across the world that are not morally right, 
but are morally okay. For example, I don't think anyone agrees with the Chinese binding of girls' feet to make them smaller and more petite. But that idea in society that a more petite, docile woman is more acceptable in China, I think is very, for- unfortunately, still common. That's part of their tradition, that's part of their morals, but their morality has changed on being born with it versus physically changing someone. I'm very, I'm very curious on how morally a culture deals with its tradition versus the new world. I feel like that's an ever-changing question. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's damn if you do, damn if you don't. Yeah, it's got to adapt with the times. I mean, it's. I'm sure morality has been changing throughout time, and obviously traditions have changed throughout time. So, it's one of those things where we're. You're just. You always think you're in the middle of it, but it's an ongoing process. It's like erosion. Time is is changing the eroding the the traditions of the past. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I also agree with the later statements we were doing with the greater good on that you're okay with sacrificing some of your personal morals for the greater good. But I do want to make the caveat of it's a slippery slope. If all rules and all necessities for the greater good are permitted, society fails. You need to have some hard lines in the sand for a society to form, no matter what your moral relativism is. No matter what your morals are, no matter where you are in the culture, whether it might change or change, there has to be some hard rules in the sand. The line might change in the sand, but without those lines, society falls, at least in my opinion. Sorry, I'm thinking. No, you're good. Um, To help you think a little bit, I have a quote by uh, Frederick Nietzsche, which I think is very applicable to moral relativism. And he goes, you have your way. I have my way. As for the right way, it does not exist, end quote, which I kind of agree with Frederick Nietzsche, even though he might be a dark, I think he was Austrian, he might have been German, dark kind of philosopher, man. Potato, (laughs) potato. The older I get, the more I tend to agree with him, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I don't, and I think, I think personally, I think there's, like he says, there's, you have your way and you, ha- you have your way and I have my way, but there, we don't know the right way. I think when it comes to morals, there is a right way. I'm not saying it's mine. I'm not saying it's yours, but I think like we talked about how we, looking back in the past, now we know the morally correct way through enough trial and error, the decision we're not sure about 30 years from now, we will know. What is the right and the wrong way? I, I feel like as we improve our technology, we don't think about it, but our system of moral judgment is improving as well. As we do enough rights and wrongs and figure shit out, it's an ever ever happening. It's a continuing project, but it is improving. And, and I think you can see the see the results. And so I think the stuff we are arguing about right now, and yes, obviously like your, your point, uh, you know, History is written by the victors, so you're going to have some of that. But I think that there is a right or wrong answer. I don't know if we'll know if we know it. I don't know if we know it now. I don't know if we'll know it later. But at some point, I think we will know what that right or wrong answer was. So I actually disagree with that statement. 
Um, oh, you bastard. Yeah, uh, you know me. The Literally, the devil's son. Antichrist. That's the word I was looking for. Literally, the Antichrist. Um, I don't think we will... Clayton... <laughs> I will don't I don't think we'll find a right or wrong. I think it will be the same as it always been in history of it's just the context of the time period. And I think for the most part we are not improving. But so then doesn't isn't that implying a right or wrong? Like there is a right answer? Yes and no. I don't think there's any real answer. Right or wrong, I think just goes to the victor. But I don't think that we are improving. I think we are just adapting. For example, in Shia law, it is if a woman, I'm not familiar if it's, she doesn't want to wear a hijab or if she has sex out of marilock or something like that, that it is in some cultures okay to pour battery acid on her face. Morally, I find that disgust, disgusting and not right. But in their cultures, it is right. And depending on what culture you ask, what time, like Shia law, which has lasted for over a thousand years, that might just be their culture, their way. And to tell a culture their way, their methodology is wrong, is weird. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's weird to say that, hey, your culture you've been doing for a thousand years is wrong. Seems inherently intolerant, but the intolerance actually might be a good thing, which is also a weird statement on my mind but i don't think we're proving i just think we're adapting i think let's go with the sit-ins from the 1960s civil rights movements i don't think society still doesn't carry hate they just move their hate to another topic they just understood the larger picture of hey white and black doesn't make a difference we have this other goal which is far more important for our morals to take care of rather than this moral it's it's understanding it's learning it's adapting and it's adapting to a scenario that they know for personal belief like hey if i give up my hatred of x y and z that means there's there are that many more minds to think about how to fix the world save the world create new inventions that will benefit me Again, that to me is more adaptation than improving. Like I'm adapting to make my own life, my own tribe better, my own society better, rather than another reasoning. Improving to me comes to the mindset that we know better than our ancestors, which I think is true, but I don't think is true on a moral spectrum, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I like how you set, talked about how like you shifted the hatred. So you had this anger from, you know, towards African-Americans and we figured, hey, maybe we don't do that. It reminded me of the South Park where uh, Japan was about to find out who really dropped the nuclear bomb <laughs> because we told them it was uh, cow whale and, chicken. and dolphin. Oh, whale and dolphin. Whale <laughs> and dolphin. But, it, but it was, and so then we're like, we'll tell you. And it was actually cow and chicken. And I do. <laughs> and I just have a bunch of people, a bunch of Japanese people coming over the hill with spears to stab the shit out of chickens. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that episode. <laughs> So, yeah, it reminded me of that first off. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's that's a really 
good point is that it's an, an adaptation to survive. And I guess my counterpoint is, isn't everything we do an adaptation to survive? Like living in a society, finding, you know, our system of morals allows us to live in that society, which allows us to thrive. So wouldn't our society be ever changing no. to have the best fitness, the best chance of survival? Mm, yes and no. But the first thing that comes to mind is that Oxford Seven Rules of for the good of the group, and that comes to mind is self-sacrifice. To me, self-sacrifice is still that wrench in the gears. That still throws everything out of spectrum. Because to me, self-sacrifice still changes moral relativism. I think every culture has some sort of moral sacrifice, whether that be for family or for group. But for the most part, for survival instincts of hey, I need to breed, I need to live so I can breed to procreate to pass off my genetics or offspring, which every living thing inherently has, is given up to save both either people I know or people I have never met before. I don't think that's an amputation. I think that's a solely moral decision. I think that's a conscious decision of this is the right thing to do, not the smart thing to do. Hold on, I'm processing an, <laughs> a sentence here. It's taken a minute. You're good. To buy you some more time, uh, I can't help but think, I'm, of course, a nerd and an introvert. Uh, I keep thinking of Assassin's Creed with Altair, and Altair said, nothing is true, everything is permitted. Which holds some merit when we're talking about ethics, because when it comes to the truth and ethics, that's... On what side of the fence you're on? When everything is permitted, well, some things were deemed illegal, which now we would deem as heroic. So I think out of I think out of all the video games, granted I am biased, Assassin's Creed has a pretty good quote there with nothing is true and everything is permitted. So you're talking about self-sacrifice, which one we still need to do an episode on because we've talked about it in a couple different podcasts. Uh, but two, I was listening to... Can't remember what it was, but Brian Callen was talking about the kamikazes, and I didn't know that pretty much every kamikaze was a student of philosophy or like literature. I thought it would be like the most gung ho, like you know, uneducated, kind of like how ISIS and the Taliban do it. They take the the least educated individual and you know convince them that blowing themselves up is the way to go but with the kamikazes it was the opposite it was the more well-educated people who decided to do that in the name of their emperor and it, apparently all of the notes they wrote home were in poem form which is fucking wild like who the fuck does that obviously literature students like those same people that most people make fun of apparently are the fucking craziest combatants it's really weird to think that the least educated and have the smallest idea of a picture and the people with the philosophy with the largest picture of ideology both agree on the same thing. That's very weird to me. Yeah, no, it's it's fucking wild, dude. Like in in our modern society, we view the people who do that as being like idiots the lowest the low not idiots but no access to education uh, yeah like we never think of 
the martyrs. And I guess you, you do see that with, you know, the people from, you know, that ISIS Taliban recruits from social media from the U.S. and Canada to go commit atrocities or even just go to the Middle East and fight. But there's something, yeah, I mean, I think, and I think we talked about this last time we talked about self-sacrifices. What you're seeing is, like you talked about, the for the greater good. You're helping your community is that maybe you are sacrificing your own life, but you are helping, you know, your family, your friends, that there is a net gain to your group. Which is weird to think about how multiple different cultures through multiple different time periods, granted, from ISIS to Imperial Japan is from what? 2010s to 1930s and 40s. That's still a pretty good chunk of change in between, but they still have somewhat the similar ideology that if I give up myself, it will help my people. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be something. I mean, one, we got to, <laughs> we really do need to do an episode on this because it's, it is wild. <laughs> and I'd love to see the comparisons to the animal kingdom. But yeah, man, I don't know. It's, there's got to be something there and it's got to be a for the greater good argument. And maybe it's not a thought process, right? Like you're not thinking that, but there's something inherent in humans. I mean, I, I think sacrifice, I think you need, you need to sacrifice for goals. We all know this, right? Like you want to go to college, you have to sacrifice time and money. You want to get, you know, marriage, you have to sacrifice time and money. <laughs> How same thing, but I mean, you know, you want to, you want to do something, you sacrifice time and money. You got to train, you got to do all this stuff, physical fitness. You got to be, you know, there, there's, you have to make sacrifice. I mean, I think sacrificing is, you know, obviously, you know, not talking about, we're not sacrificing our life every day, but people are sacrificing hours to help other people. I mean, I think sacrifice is an important tenet of what it means to be human. I mean, just, I feel, I don't know, it wasn't mentioned, but I've, most cultures have some sort of, maybe not sacrifice, but I think it's you more likely see it come across as like a community service or, or something where you help, you know, your your neighbor, your community, and it's expected. Now, not to the extremes of being a kamikaze, but I mean, I think that, that element is there somewhere hidden. Well, a little bit out of left field, but I think still kind of goes along with you is how many people will work for a company that they morally don't agree with just so they get the paycheck to get whatever they want they swallow the bad tasting medicine now for a better future tomorrow like how many companies are work how many people are working for companies that they think you know are doing sweatshop or doing unethical things but they're like it is what it is to to survive to make sure my family, my tribe is healthy to make sure I can do a little bit of bad for a greater good. So I can do, I'll work for this evil company for a little while to do, to get myself in higher education. So I get a different job, so to speak. It's, it's, it's to me very s similar, smaller scale. Well, the, the millennial answer is like what? 90%. <laughs> I guess it just, uh, I, goes on morals uh who's evil who's not just depends on uh relativism nick which is a little tongue-in-cheek for you but it's kind of true yeah i mean it's uh yeah is it all relative or is it all absolute 
I think because there's really, really no way to know until the fucking lights go out and the credits <laughs> roll. Is it bad that I instantly thought of uh of uh oh god why am I blanking on it of um oh god help me out Mel Brooks uh cowboy comedy Blazing I was Shadows? thinking of Blazing Saddles when the credit rolls and he's in the theater eating popcorn and he spits it out when he sees all the, when he sees the hero coming for him. Oh, that's yeah. that's where the first thing that popped in my mind. Yeah. Now, well, I, I don't have much more. Do you have anything, Mike? I just want to say, though I do think there's a base level, I think right and wrong, whether it be traditional, societal, or regional, is all very fluid. So it might be respecting one's cultures, but one's cultures may not benefit humanity, so we condone it. I think I think we can all learn from each other. I think we can all criticize each other. But I think morals are consistently adapting and changing and for the most part are not rigid. And that is what I have to say for that. I would ag- agree and disagree. So I agree. I, I agree with... I, I think we're both saying the same things, but I think we view it a little differently. I think there is a objective moral right and wrong. I don't think we know it. And I think that what you talked about knowing and like changing and adapting is what we're seeing is that eventually one day we will be at a system of moral right and wrong. Now, maybe it is like we talked about the victor. We just have one person who just fucking says the morals and that's the way it is for the rest of the time. But I feel like there is an objective moral right and wrong but it could just be me living in the fucking moment and not being able to look at the past and the future and seeing what's going on and saying, well, we, we could change this way and we could change that way. Like, okay, here's an example. I eat meat. I like animals, deer, elk, cow, chicken, pork, always delicious, lamb, fucking whatever. I do think our society in not too distant a future will decide that it's in I'm trying to think of the right word it's it's not moral to eat meat i could foresee a world we live in where we don't eat meat do i think that that is morally correct no but i think society will deem it morally correct but correct but i think in the long term future we'll go away from that so i i don't want to get short term fads confused with the objective morality well, I love how you turned the short-term fab of since the beginning of humanization of eating meat to the future of possibly not eating as meat. What? <laughs> I think the short-term fad is the not eating meat. Like, I think we've been eating meat. We'll, in the future, continue to eat meat. I think you could see a, a little bit where we don't, where first-world countries don't eat meat. I mean, you're ne- you're not going... I think maybe if they waited, th- this is getting too far in the weeds but to where everyone could afford enough food like where no one starved to death and you tried to ban meat you could maybe do it but there's no fucking way you're gonna get the entire world to stop eating meat while people are still starving to death yeah no i i I agree with that statement personally i mean i don't think you should i'm just saying like this is this is what i see coming and i this is where i think that like you talked about it's ever changing with culture that you're going to see changes, but you're going to see not all changes take effect. Changing the tides. Some erode, some stay put. Who knows? Well, only the future will know. 
But out of curiosity, Nick, if well, people wanted to tell us if they think morals are born or they learned or a little bit of both or just their opinion in general on moral wealthism, where could they tell us and where could they find us? If you want to message us, DM us on Instagram. If you want to talk about it, go to the Backyard Philosophy Reddit. We're Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Instagram. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, Mike, what are you reading right now? I am attempting to climb the mountain of uh, Fountainhead by Anne Wren once again. Uh, I like her writing. It's just sometimes, I'll be honest, I'm a little intimidated on how <laughs> how thick the books are and how little time I have. But uh, so far, a little bit in. Absolutely adore it. I like her writing. What about you, my friend? What are you reading? I am reading The Age of Wood by Roland Enos. I'm assuming that's how you say his name. E-N-N-O-S. No idea. Uh, just about the relationship between humans and trees. Very on par. <laughs> it's uh, very on par. It's not exactly... I'm, I'm not too far into it. It's not exactly what I thought it was, but... So far, it's pretty interesting. This uh, this guy writes a lot of books about things I'm interested in, but I feel like he always writes them in a way that that's not exactly what I wanted. <laughs> so it's like a little bit frustrating, but <laughs> just a tease, not a climax. Exactly. Uh, well, with that being said, I think we hit a lot of good points, Nick, and I I don't think again, like you said, we solved anything, but I think we brought up good questions. And with that being said, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.